Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Saw Something Scary. I'm Derek Zhu. Alongside me as always is Jeff Wright. And today we're going to talk about a brand new movie just came out about a month ago. Creep 2. Yeah, we're going back to the creep again. Hot dog for everybody. Jeff, how are you, buddy? I'm well. Good. Uh, enjoyed this movie. Enjoyed uh, getting a chance to talk with you about it off air. And uh, yeah, ready to, ready to do it for the listeners. All right. Well, we'll start it out with everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. And, uh, dude, I got two trailers for you today. The first one is, I think that we've already talked about it before, uh, as, like, one of the movies, one of the most anticipated horror movies coming out for the rest of the year. But it's a movie called Polaroid. That doesn't ring a bell. Okay. So, let me give you the synopsis on it. High school loner Bird Fetcher has no idea what dark secrets are tied to the mysterious Polaroid vintage camera she stumbles upon, but it doesn't take long to discover that those who had their picture taken meet a tragic end. Oh, yeah. Maybe this does uh, ring a bell now. Thank you. It makes me think of that video game. I think the first time you brought it up, I mentioned it's called Fatal Frame. Yes, that's right. You see ghosts when you flash the camera. Yeah, I'll go check that out. I like vintage stuff. I like haunted, you know, devices and objects. So sure, I'll check that out. Uh, for those camera nerds out there that might want to know what the camera used in the movie was, it's a Polaroid SX70. Is this getting a wide release or is this something we'll find on streaming or, you know, video on demand? Let's Do you know? see. Uh, it is currently in post-production. It's supposed to come out this year. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's supposed to come out next year uh, in the United States. Next year being 18 or yes. 19? Okay. I'm sorry, 18. Yeah. We're close uh, enough to uh, the new year that I wanted to confirm. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't say if it's going to come out in theaters or uh, or on DVD or, or uh, streaming. It looks like it's going to be a wide release. It's a PG-13 movie. Oh. So it'll be it'll be one of those scary but not scary PG-13 movies. Widely accessible. Exactly. So that is... Sure, come in. There you go. Um, the next one I've got is called Mayhem. And it is in theaters. Matter of fact, it is in theaters next Friday. November the 10th, or actually, I guess this Friday, when the way this... Uh, Does that mean it's going up against Thor? No. Well, I mean, Thor comes out tomorrow. So we're talking about a week from now. Yes. Sorry, I, I dropped it. Okay. Yeah, November the 10th. I was going to say bold choice. Yeah. Something else is coming out, though, next week that makes it, makes me feel like this is probably a dumb idea for them to do. Oh, yeah. Daddy's Home 2 and Murder on the Orient, Orient Express. That was the one I was thinking uh, would be the, the heavy hitter for next week. But I don't know. I don't know if anybody's really going to go watch that or not. It's got enough talent to draw people in, but it seems like movie stars can't sell movies anymore. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that's compelling visually and storyline-wise. Yeah. So. yeah, very few people go to movies anymore just based on the on the uh, movie star themselves. Unless you're Dwayne Johnson, then people go see his movies all the time. Speaking of which, and this is on a way different tangent, but have you seen the feud going on between Tyrese and The Rock? No. Well, it's been kind of one-sided because Dwayne Johnson seems like he's above petty trash talk, unless he's just doing it for jest, but Tyrese has been on like his social media just blasting The Rock. Yesterday, apparently, he got on. and Because I guess what's going on is um, they've delayed Fast 9. How dare they? Which, well, how dare they get to Fast 9? Like, it's their best action franchise. Oh, okay. So, they're they're delaying Fast 9 so that uh, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham can do, like, their own spinoff movie, Hobbs and, uh, I don't know, whatever, Calvin, I guess, or whatever Jason Statham's <laughs> character's name is. How awesome would that be, though, right? Like Calvin and Hobbs with Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. So, anyway, Tyrese is upset about that. Apparently, he's broke and is going through some legal, going through some legal drama with his family. Uh, like, his, his ex-wife is suing him for custody of their kids, and uh, apparently, like, it's it's come out that his he put hands on his daughter in a violent way and stuff, and, like, he was on social media yesterday crying, talking about his kid. I, I mean, it's it was just a huge thing. Uh, yeah, anyway, he accused Dwayne of, of steroids, like, all this other stuff, and he said, if if, uh, if, if Dwayne Johnson's in Fast 9, I won't be in Fast 9. And the oh, first, I, exactly. The don't first throw thing. me in the briar bush. 
first thing I thought was, well, Tyrese, it was a good run. Like, who are you going to, I mean, do you really think that the Fast and the Furious people are going to go with Tyrese? Yeah, you've been there since the second one, but you're Tyrese, right? Like, this is the biggest box office draw in the world right now. Anyway. That guy's not in a good place, it sounds like. No, he's, he, I mean, he claims that he is, but all evidence to the contrary. So, hopefully, he gets the help that he needs, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I saw, I saw the, um, the thing about Tyrese being like, I'm not going if Dwayne's in it, and then it went down this whole other rabbit hole that I didn't expect to happen. It's crazy. That is not an ultimatum that's going to be good for Tyrese's career. Yeah. And if he's broke, this is shooting your own foot off. Yeah. I, I, I would be angling for a, you know, bit part in the spinoff film. Right. Hey, Dwayne, you know, yeah. throw me some love. Whatever, man. You want to pick a fight there? Uh, it's your career to kill, I guess. Yeah, it's it's so weird. It, uh, and he said that, I guess, because of his, uh, because of what's been going on with his ex-wife, that he's basically unhirable now. Like, people don't want that stink on their movie sets, except for the Fast and the Furious. And I was like, well, if I was the Fast and the Furious, I would probably want to step away from that as well. And yet again, whatever, like, legacy you have there, you throw away as soon as you make them choose between you and Dwayne Johnson. Exactly. There's nobody who wins that competition, really. I don't know if a guy like Pacino at this point. Yeah. You know, movies, uh, movie studios are so desperate for bankable stars. I don't know what level of star you'd have to get to if you wanted to draw a line between you and Dwayne. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who gets to win that competition, but I know who doesn't. Yeah. Mr. Tyrese. Yeah, like at this point with Dwayne Johnson, do you think Paul Walker could have made those demands if he were still alive? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think there would have been some backlash probably from Fast and Furious fans because that was what Paul Walker was. Yeah, maybe because he was the face of it from the jump. Maybe him. I don't know. Statum, Statum couldn't do it. No. Um, I don't think Vin Diesel could either. No. Yeah, Vin, Vin would be like right there with Walker. Yeah. It's like, well, this is their franchise, but yeah, man, I mean, that's the only two people we're talking about, and they would be using all of the resources of continuity. So yeah, poor Tyrese. Yeah. Um, best of luck, man. Yeah, just, uh, you know, don't don't throw rocks at somebody with a machine gun. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, back to your uh, hatred of trailers. Mayhem comes out next Friday, or this Friday, rather, since uh, we're recording this. It'll be out on, the, what, the 7th, I guess? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, a virus spreads through an office complex, causing white-collar workers to act out their worst impulses. Was this not just a movie, like, a year ago? Or they, this year? Well, they shut the building down and made everybody kill each other? Yeah, the Belco experiment? There you go. Oh. Yeah. That does sound very derivative, and I just don't have any interest in that. That sounds like gore for gore's sake. Uh, yeah, it's just not interesting enough to waste my time with. If you can't come up with a more compelling story, I'm not going to throw my money at it. So, Stephen Yoon, uh, from, I believe he was in The Walking Dead. I believe he was the guy that everyone got real. Yeah, he was Glenn in The Walking Dead. And Samara Weaving, who's in The Babysitter, um, they star. And, uh, Best of luck to you guys. Comes out next week. Yeah, we'll see. Let's see. I want to see how much. Oh, man. I was hoping I'd get a budget out of it just to see, just to kind of keep tabs, see if it makes its budget back next week or not. Box office mojo will come through for you yeah. eventually. Well, I mean, by then I'll forget about it. So <laughs> True, true. So anyway, that is this week's episode of Jeff H. Trailers. Jump right in. This week's all right, man. Have you ever seen the trailer for the Friday the 13th fan film Never Hike Alone? Yes. What'd you think? I, I thought it was decent. Okay, so we've got a 50-minute cut that came out way back on the 14th, but we never really got a chance to talk about it, and it is getting incredible reviews. So I'm going to run through Bloody Disgusting's report. Uh, in celebration of Friday the 13th yesterday, so obviously a dated <laughs> article, Womp Stomp Films and director Vincent DeSanti released the nearly feature-length Never Hike Alone. Again, I think it's 50 minutes. A fan-funded film that we told you about earlier this year. We've been looking 
looking forward to this one for several months now, and we're happy to report that it dadgum sure does not disappoint. There was some spontaneous editing there on my part. <laughs> Suspenseful, scary, and incredibly well-made, Never Hike Alone is bar none one of the best fan films we've ever seen. It's also the best thing to happen to Friday fans since Friday the 13th. The game, effectively scratching the itch we've been feeling from Paramount's eight-year inability to get another movie off the ground. Uh, here's your synopsis. The short film follows Kyle McLeod, played by Andrew Lighty, an avid backcountry hiker who, while on a solo backpacking trip, discovers the long-lost remains of, you guessed it, Camp Crystal Lake. Ignoring the campfire ghost stories from his childhood, Kyle's curious nature draws him in to see what is left of the camp since it was closed after the infamous Friday the 13th murders that took place in 1980. And of course, there's someone else out there in the woods. Um, dum, dum, dum. I think this is available just on YouTube. Okay. So, you think you watch that? Yeah, man. Um, I actually think that my buddy Mike D watched that over maybe on Friday the 13th or, or through the through the Halloween season and he gave it great reviews if I remember correctly. So, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Is that something maybe you want to you wanna try to watch for next week? Not to do a whole uh, review over a whole episode over it, but maybe just for the horror reporter, we watch it, and I mean, if it's 50 minutes, it's not too much more time. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, you know, Bloody Discussing mentioned this. I have seen multiple places say, multiple online, you know, news sources say this is the best fan film ever, and it's the closest thing that, you know, desperate fans of Friday the 13th are going to get to having more Jason back in their life because, as they mentioned, Paramount can't get it off uh, the ground on their own. But I'm happy for those people who love Jason and love that mythos and now they get a chance to I guess go back to Camp Crystal Lake for a little while I don't know if this will be the last time we see it uh, it seems like horror is making enough money that surely Paramount will kind of get the ball going but for right now maybe this will tide people over yeah man I um, it's weird to me that, that they can't get a, the Friday the 13th franchise off the ground especially with how great horror has been this year right like I mean I know that we're going to talk about that here in a minute but you, you would just imagine that something would come about with it and so it's just it's frustrating to me that like we got a new ring movie we got a new Jigsaw movie, which you can't go back to like, and we're even getting a new Halloween movie, right? But you can't go back to one of the classics with Jason. There've got to be creators who grew up loving that film. There's obviously reason to get involved from a monetary standpoint. I w- if I were running Paramount, I would be desperately trying to bring this thing together. And I may even be bringing in the people behind the fan film, uh, Vincent DeSanti, Womp Stomp Films. I may just get them and go, all right, guys, you know, let's let's run with what you started here. But I'm not running a major motion picture uh, office, so yeah. who knows? Um, speaking Speaking of that, uh, so like I was saying, Mike D did watch the movie. He has a podcast called We're Going to Need a Bigger Show, and they actually did a review of that movie uh, and may have actually gotten Vincent DeSanti. No, I'm sorry. They, they didn't get Vincent DeSanti on there, but uh, they did a review on Never Hike Alone, and uh, so you can find that at uh, We're Going to Need a Bigger Show on uh, on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcast from. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested now, for sure. I think it'd be great to, to check it out. Uh, but yeah, man, back to it. I just, I you got to think that there's somebody like you and I that are that's around our age that grew up loving these movies that says, okay, here's not necessarily a fresh take, or or maybe even a fresh take, right? But, I mean, these movies, they make themselves. You're not reinventing the wheel. And so, yeah, just it just kind of boggles my mind that in in in, the, in a time where we've seen such a renaissance with horror, we can't get, we, we can't bring Jason back from the dead, right? Well, not only a renaissance in horror, but also a time when, when studios are really struggling to make money. Yeah. I mean, you've got this cash cow, it looks like. But as you just mentioned, moving on from that, horror movies are making all the money. So, 
thus far, basically the top five or six have made over a billion dollars this year. So we've hmm. got $1.1 billion in revenue coming out of uh, Muschietti's It, Shyamalan Split, Get Out, Annabelle Creation, and yeah, I guess that's enough to account for $1.1 billion in revenue just with those four flagship films. And even second tier films are making fat stacks of money. Uh, Jigsaw's brought in $18 million. Happy Death Day had a $48 million domestic haul its opening weekend, I think. Uh, 47 meters down, $44 million. Uh, it was straight to video. Wow. So Holy smokes. Horror just continues to cash in. And uh, you made a wonderful point last night going to get some food. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a, it's a huge, huge coincidence, right, that you and I start this amazing award-winning podcast, and then all of a sudden, horror just blows up. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to toot around horn, but... Toot, toot. So you're welcome, horror fans. Yeah. Uh, we're glad we were able to do this for you. Glad we were the shot in the arm that you needed. You know, we're probably, at this point, you know, we, we've talked about how, like, we're in a horror golden age mm-hmm. as it's developing. We're, we're living in the Stephen King renaissance. I don't know if you saw Pet Cemetery has creators assigned to it now. Yeah. Um, we're probably pushing already close to, like, backlash and where, like, the worst horror is being made just to grab at some cash, as sure. you kind of warned us about for yeah. so long. But, man, right now, I feel like we're just kind of able to ride the cresting tide, and it's a it's a sweet time if you really love scary stuff. Absolutely. You know, something I, I, it just now hit me that we didn't mention last week on I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mike Flanagan is redoing I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, how do we fail to mention that, dude? Yeah. Um, we did it to hold out for him to come talk to us. Pretty about much. It. Yeah. So anyway, I, all joking aside, I couldn't be more thrilled. I don't think that premise has a lot left in it. What he did with Gerald's game makes me think, okay, whatever premise you want to take, you know, my, my go-to is uh, Dr. Seuss novel. Yeah. Okay. If it's time for Horton Here's a Who to be horrifying, bring it on. Let's give it to Mike Flanagan. Well, here's here's what I was wondering about because, you know, you and I both talked about the fact that Gerald's game is more of just a movie with horror elements to it. What if he goes back to the original text of that? Of, it was a novel, right? Yeah. Well, I know what it, you did last summer. I read the Wikipedia summary, so I don't, I'm not super familiar, but it read to me as almost like a young adult novel. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just wondering if maybe he would try to go back into that instead of doing the slasher stuff, if he makes it more, more like that with horror elements to it. Yeah. Well, it's radically different, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fresh material to work with if you made that route. I guess we'll find out when we see his haunting on Hill House, right? We'll see how close he sticks to source material, how far he deviates when he's working from a book. If Gerald's game, coming from a short story's indication, any indication, it looks like he works pretty close. Yeah. We'll see. How unfair is it that Vincent Price has passed and Mike Flanagan never had the chance to work with him? Yeah, man, that's terrible. Sometimes the cosmos just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Uh, so, cool note here uh, in the uh, Bloody Disgusting article that says that the highest grossing horror movie of 2016 was The Conjuring 2 at $102 million, and it has generated $324 million. That's in- That's insane. It's wild. Yeah. It's been a good year, brother. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to see what uh, the next couple years bring us. Yeah, for sure. And we're not even talking about horror showing up on streaming and you know broadcast television. You love Bates Motel. Uh, Stranger Things, everybody loves. Yeah. Hulu's about to get the Castle Rock thing going. I mean... House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill. We're getting another season of the X-Files. I mean, in, in every corner, uh, we're being well served. Yeah. And I hope it keeps going. And The Exorcist. We, we barely mentioned The Exorcist television show, but uh, apparently it's it's doing really well right now, too. Yeah, I'm saving that thing like a fine wine. I'm waiting for that season to complete just so I can binge it. But I trust that it will be mentioned in the future here on Saw Something Scary, because I'm looking forward to uh, watching that very much. Cool. And sort of showing the evidence of horror getting over in the broader culture. I'm a longtime NBA fan. Basketball is my first sporting love. And around Halloween, it was a good time to be a horror fan who also loves the NBA. So on uh, October 29th, the Golden State Warriors are playing the Detroit Pistons. Steph Curry comes riding in on a red tricycle dressed up as Saw's <laughs> Jigsaw. Great picture. Uh, the, maybe the thing that I think is 
the coolest. The next night, former Kentucky Wildcat and current Minnesota Timberwolf, Carl Anthony Towns, who is possibly only appropriately categorized within cryptozoology mm-hmm. because he's so versatile, he wore some super sweet Jason Voorhees sneakers, um, and he posted after the game against the Heat on the 30th uh, a picture of him playing, great shot of the shoe, and it just said, be spooky. Oh, cool. And then probably the best in terms of just quality of costume, LeBron James, the best player of his generation, shows up wearing a spot-on reproduction of Skarsgård's It. So it makes sense to me that like the best in his arena puts on the costume of the best from Horror's <laughs> sure, arena. Yeah. Um, but it was a great costume, man. It's, it's just cool to see. It's just It was a neat little detail that I enjoyed checking out, and if any of our fans are interested in sports, uh, I would recommend doing a little Instagram and Google searching for that, because those are cool images. And apparently one of the Chicago Bears uh, linemen wore a Michael Myers set of cleats or something. I didn't, oh, cool. didn't get into that as much, but pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you can if you can get through all of the Mike and Eleven uh, people that, that dressed up like Mike and Eleven this year, yeah, sure. And, and go after it. That's no big deal. Hey, there's one other bit of news from the Hort Reporter I'm going to let you introduce to our listeners because you brought it to my attention. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, so uh, I know that you guys probably think we're the only podcast in the world, and for the longest time we thought that as well, but apparently there are other ones, and this is actually one that Jeff and I are pretty high on. Uh, it's called Limetown. Uh, it's a podcast. Uh, it's a uh, scary fiction podcast. It, it has announced a season two is coming in 2018. As a matter of fact, I think that they put a little teaser up, like they found a they found some kind of footage or tape or something of the narrator and host in season one. She said something because I, well, I don't want to go for spoilers, but she's she's back now. The message they released just said, "We have found a message." Okay, so that's Limetown what it was. Return. So yeah, they're they're acknowledging that you know a little bit on their own. Season one of that thing came mm-hmm. out, I think, in 2015. That sounds yeah. That's actually yeah. That's accurate. I can remember where I was when I listened to the first episode. It was back when serial mm-hmm. and um, sort of journalistic deep dives were starting to become super popular. Mm-hmm. iTunes recommended this thing called Limetown about you know this uh, community that mysteriously disappeared. So I was exercising through it in the earbuds and I was walking up the hill in my house and I heard them talk about it being set in the tiny little town of Sparta, Tennessee. Yeah, and it was one of those like camera zoom in moments in real life because I mean we're lifelong well we're natives of Sparta, Tennessee lived here a great portion of our lives we're recording from Sparta, Tennessee right now not a lot makes the news unless it's you know the the eclipse <laughs> or uh, one of our judges paying people to get neutered right that's basically when Sparta gets attention uh, it was super cool to hear that in my earbuds and to my mind it launched the phenomenon of like scary fiction podcasts which I feel like I spend a ton of time listening to mm-hmm. I love the black tapes I love the Magnus archives but I have a playlist in my app that's just chock full of these uh, dramatic narrative podcasts and Limetown might not have been the first but it was the first that was preeminent enough to get my attention but they disappeared like yeah. the fictional town itself yeah it uh, it was great it was a, it was a really really uh, good season I feel like that there was probably what, like 12 to 13 episodes 12 is what I have in my head but okay. I haven't went back to look yeah so there's 12 to 13 episodes in that season uh, and then it just kind of <laughs> like you said just kind of vanished so now it's back uh, and we're gonna we're gonna throw out a little gauntlet we want to talk to these guys we're natives of Sparta Tennessee this is set like Jeff said in Sparta Tennessee or right outside Sparta Tennessee we would love to we'd love to talk to them do a little interview with them maybe even uh, help them out with some Sparta stuff if that's what's needed help it be more authentic yeah for sure so you can tweet them at Limetown Stories and uh, let them know that we want to talk to them on our podcast yeah I know we ask often for like reviews and things like that if you're willing to do this, even while you're listening to this episode, fire up the Twitter app. It's at Limetown Stories and 
and just tag us as well and say, we want to hear you guys uh, on an interview with the guys from Saw Something Scary. That would be super cool if you did that. We've reached out to them and haven't heard back. Any interest that our listeners kind of drum up on their end with Twitter tags and whatnot uh, would be super helpful. And yeah, I really want to talk to them. I, I don't know how much they want to talk to us, but for us, that's a it's a cool little touch point that it would just be a shame for two guys here who love horror to miss the chance to kind of pick their brains. And I'd love to know how they settled on Sparta. Yeah, absolutely. There's only two times that I can remember in popular media that Sparta, Tennessee has been mentioned this time. And uh, back in, it was <laughs> it was on my 15th birthday. So it was the October 7th, 2000. So it was basically your birthday made news. Yeah. They were like, happy Derek Zoo Day. He's from Sparta, Tennessee, 15 year old boy. And I just waved crazy. Uh, no, on Saturday Night Live, um, they were doing the debates between Al Gore and George W. Bush. And Daryl Hammond as Al Gore mentions some sweet little old lady from Sparta, Tennessee. And I just remember doing the, you know, like what? And obviously didn't have DVR or anything back then. So I had to wait several months for the repeat before I could confirm that that's what was said. But so, yeah, man, uh, I'd love to talk to these guys. And uh, so make it happen. You guys are awesome. You can you can do great things. So annoy them enough that they answer our emails. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the, the next season. I think they actually went on hiatus because they're going to try to get a TV show out of this. That probably fell through, you know, coming back for season two probably indicates that's not getting off the ground right now. But I'm glad to have him back as a podcast. Absolutely. I'm pumped to see it. So I uh, can't wait for that in 2018. Until then, let's get him on the podcast. All right, man. Well- this has been this week's you ready to pull the curtain on Creep 2? Let's pull the curtain, my man. All right, man. So we're back in the world of Joseph and Aaron, right? Yeah. The world's uh, uh, most neurotic serial killer. Yes. And this time... What? No. Spoiler alert. We have got him matched up with maybe his most similar analog, only she's a female. Yeah, we found Juliet for Romeo. For sure. He even says something, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he towards the end of the movie, he says, let's go out, Romeo and Juliet style. Aaron, the killer from Creep that we reviewed not super long ago. Yeah, man, maybe six weeks ago? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. It, it seems more recent than that, but that episode's available in the archives if you want to hear both. Uh, we've come back to the same character, the, the most neurotic serial killer in the world. This time, rather than having a videographer there to allegedly document his final day, he's made contact with a, a, a lady who runs a web series basically dealing with uh, lonely men. And in our research for this, we, we found out that there's actually a, a young lady who's a video journalist who does pretty much what the premise for this character does. Uh, Helped to inspire the creators here on Creep 2. Um, but in, in sort of bringing uh, the guy named Aaron in this movie, who we used to know as Joseph, together with this filmographer named Sarah, they've basically put a gender swap version of the same character into, you know, a, a margarita shaker and just started shaking things up and yeah. seeing what happens. Good call. Um, general thoughts on this film? Positive, negative? Uh, I mean, Mark Duplass is really great. He's got this character figured out. Um, it's crazy to me that the guy that was in the league uh, can play such a convincing serial killer. Um, I thought that the lady who played Sarah did a really great job as well. And of course, it's, it's the same thing as before, right? It's, it's a two-person cast, and you you need to have somebody on each other's level in order to make that work. Just like in the first movie with Joseph and Aaron, those two guys were on each other's level. Uh, I mean, Duplass is a little bit better than the, the guy, but he, he played the straight man to Duplass's crazy kook really well. And uh, this one, you get to see both of them go a little nuts um, and, and try to push each other's buttons, so I thought that that was really good. But I just, I mean, for me, these, these movies are just middle of the road. Um, I'll never 
watch them again. I hate to hear that because I really do. Uh, I really do enjoy both films. You hit on something that I thought really does need to be noted, not because we're going to bring any unique perspective to it, but Mark Duplass is really incredible. If the gauge of an actor is you've made me believe you are the person that you're playing, he gets a perfect score. And the level of awkwardness that he can bring to the role staggers me because it's um, it's awkward, ratcheted up almost to the point of excruciating, right? Almost to the point where you're like, I can't handle this guy, even through the lens of the video camera. But he, he comes right up to the cusp of it, but doesn't go over the line. So you keep watching. You're kind of wanting to know where the train wreck goes from here. And uh, I never watched The League, mm-hmm. but I realize for a lot of people, it's the dichotomy and the contrast that you just mentioned. It's hard to see him, you know, who, who you met in The League as this guy. But for me, who's never had that point of reference, um, I'm just blown away. I kind of feel like I know him, feel like I know people like him. And again, he takes me right up to the point of this is too uncomfortable, but still leaves the hook in my mouth super well. And I think he deserves, uh, I just think he deserves a lot of praise for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they could have picked a bit better person to do that part. You know, he really does kind of become that character. Well, and it makes sense, right? This is a passion project. Sure. A passion project that he developed with a friend of his. They they knew it from the inside out before they ever turned the camera on. So it makes sense he would be great at it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we should praise him for really incredible, you know, work there. You also mentioned Sarah um, in the in Creep, the original film. Uh, the guy who he hired as a videographer was Aaron there, right? So we learned that the killer has taken Aaron's name at this point. Um, in this one, when they pull Sarah in, uh, Sarah has much more to do than Aaron did. You know, Aaron was in a lot of ways purely reactive. He was a balloon caught in a hurricane, and then eventually he became a mouse trying to escape a trap. Sarah's completely different. Um, one of the things you notice really early on in the film is that she knows Duplass's character is used to being in control, and she makes this self-conscious decision to put him on his heels, to take him out of his comfort zone, to push back. Um, I think part of that's explained in the story by her saying, I don't believe he's actually a serial killer, but it makes for some really fascinating viewing because that guy is, you know, again, we've, we've hammered it to death. I have super neurotic, but to see him losing control to someone that he intentionally brought in is, uh, it's just a wonderful update and continuation of the story we first got in Creep. Sure. Do we want to talk about the scene? Uh, no. Most uncomfortable part of this movie. Yeah. And honest to God, unnecessary. I have never wanted a Blurkle more in my life. You want to tell the listeners if they haven't seen it? Uh, well, I mean, the bits and pieces of it is, is he shows the bits and pieces. I mean, he just, you know, he tells her that um, he doesn't want any sexual tension between the two of them and that, you know, he should he should present himself to her in his naked form, drops his towel, and then for the next, what, it felt like a year, his Johnson is out flying in the wind. And there's, yeah, there's no mitigation. Like, that's just there on camera forever. It, it You know, it should have got, like, some kind of supporting actor credit. Yeah. Um, well, so let's talk about, I guess, let's handle it discreetly, then we talk about some more of it. Um, you know, pretty quickly after that, Sarah calls him on it and says, mm-hmm. okay, my turn now. Yeah. And she hops up and starts taking off her blouse or jacket or whatever it was. And at that point, I was thinking, well, this movie is really going to tick me off because I don't need, you know, like 10 minutes of just gratuitous nudity. Like you said, him doing it was enough for me to feel like I was trapped in purgatory for a couple centuries. Um, isn't it interesting, though, that when she drops her clothes, he zooms into her face yeah. and you don't see her body at all. I like that decision as somebody who doesn't want to see, you know, naked women parade around on my television. But it's also interesting as the as the character. You know, this guy who's all about, oh, we, we're going to be authentic. We're going to be transparent with each other. She does the same thing he did. All he wants to look at is her face. Almost yeah. like he's uncomfortable with the uh, the dynamics he 
he's created. And that that kind of spun, spins out to the bigger point I wanted to talk about. Again, with her putting him in uncomfortable places, I thought it was really good writing to, one, have her call his bull. You know, that would be a power play to come in and say, I'm, I'm taking the clothes off. It would, it, it would clearly, in almost any social interaction, either end it or say, this person is driving the boat, right? If he's going to do this, um, there's nothing he won't do, and he's the active agent. But when she looks him in the eye and calls his bluff, you realize you're on a completely different track. And the other thing that I really enjoyed from this movie is um, Duplass's character really loves the jump scare. Mm-hmm. You know, we get that so much in the first one. He's jumping out of, you know, blind corners, yelling at the screen. She no-sells it hardcore. And at one point, I think he looks at the camera and looks off to the side and says, you're a tough nut to crack. But then later, after he tells her to go away, he goes up to spy on her in the shower. Now, we get this this uh, scene of a blade laying on the ground. So we think, oh, he's this is how he kills her. She comes running out of the blind ca- corner, screams at him, and he's terrified. And it breaks him down. That's just good character development. Yeah. She no-sells every one of his jump scares, which I believe were at least at least four. Possibly more than that, but four that I can remember. And he is scared every time she does it, which is at least twice. And she does it really close to each other. Like, yeah. the two times she does it, they're back-to-back. And like you said, both times it gets him. Uh, yeah, it's subtle, right? It's not, um, I mean, it's not subtle for somebody to jump out screaming. But it's a it's a subtle way to say, uh, this guy's on his heels. He's rocking at this point and uh, doesn't know what he's going to do from here on out. And that's the best part of this movie, is watching this prolific serial killer who's used to having his world neatly ordered and kind of bringing chaos into other people's lives surprisingly and suddenly have that kind of turn back on him. So that's my favorite part of this film. Her is this mirror reflection. It is a really nice change of pace uh, from the first one. I guess that was kind of the, the best part about it now that you're saying that because my biggest fear was is we were just going to see a rinse and repeat of yeah. the first one, right? And so this time you see him um, as, a, as a, I mean, he even says in himself, midlife crisis. He's going through a lot of uh, emotions and, and is he still, does he still have a purpose on the planet, even though that's a weird purpose to have to be a serial killer, but. Well, I think we talked about it in the in the watching. It's Dexter becoming an oversharer yeah. in the midst of a midlife crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, you know, Dexter would, would talk to his victims and then kill them. And here, Duplass is just, it's almost like Sarah is his uh, therapist. Yeah, that's really good. That's that's pretty much what he says anyway that he wants from her. You know, I do appreciate with them, I think they helped us diffuse that fear a bit by starting us out with that guy who looked like M. Night Shyamalan's son. Yeah. You know, we get just a few minutes with Duplass and a victim and, I don't know, within the first eight minutes of the movie, he's already sliced his throat and let him bleed out there to death. And you realize, like, okay, we're not getting the rinse and repeat. And I think that's when they switch you over to the web series mm. snippets from Sarah. So, really good storytelling. I read that the guy who played Aaron in the first film, mm-hmm. who is the, you know, director on this or whatever, he and DePlas met, and his interest is actually documentaries. And there's a sensibility about that here, right? You know, he tells Sarah, DePlas's character tells Sarah, I want you to make a documentary about this unknown serial killer. Patrick Bryce. Thank you. So, Bryce is the co-star, and then I guess he's behind the camera. Yeah, he, he, he has written and directed both of these movies. Okay. As well as, as star, excuse me, as well as starring as Aaron in the first one. I think his directorial instincts as a documentarian helps raise the bar from what you normally expect from found footage. I mean, these are micro-budget films, but he brings a professionalism to it that transcends the standard fare from the genre. We've talked about this before. You're still pretty much out on found footage, right? Yeah. And honestly, I think that's half the reason why I don't like these movies. Yeah, that's fair enough. What I'm going to say is someone who's like the last torchbearer for the genre, these guys do it perfectly well because nothing happens on camera that there isn't a compelling real-world explanation for. There's not just, oh, this guy got a video camera and he wants to record everything and he keeps doing it in situations where you would 
throw everything you have and run out the door. You know, the first one is this guy's getting paid to be a videographer. He's getting paid, you know, he's desperate for some cash, so he's getting paid to record everything. And he keeps doing it right until the point of desperation when Duplass's character takes over. In this one, it's a better shot film. You can tell that maybe they're playing with a little bit of budget here, but they explain that by having Sarah be, if not like a journalist, at least someone who's running a web series and aspiring to that. Yeah, she's a vlogger. Yeah, so you're like, oh, of course it makes sense that this is a little bit better shot and editing's a little bit better. Uh, If you're going to do found footage anymore, that's the way to do it. You've got to come up with a reason for that camera to be running. And and too often, people wanting to tell a good story affordably, I think they just punt on that and don't realize what they're throwing away. Uh, I think it's a huge strength for this film. Yeah, Kudos to them for getting Blumhouse on board for this one, too. That's a, I mean, obviously that's a huge get. I don't think they were a part of the first one. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously that's where your budgetary increase can come from. And, you know, Jason Bloom is, he's, he's everywhere right now. And so, you know, he sees a, a good to decent script. He's going to take it and make it better and, you know, and stuff. And so, yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, man. It, it's a, it's a, that's a really good point that you made. Um, the, the financing on this was interesting to me. So when we were looking for this, I think the only place we could find it to stream was Amazon Video On Demand. Yes. But right from the uh, credits, Netflix comes up as like a producer and then their production company and Bloomhouse. And can we just take just another moment here to say, as people who just talked about the golden age of horror that we're in, Bloomhouse has as big a hand in that as anybody you can like put your finger on. Uh, like a good venture capitalist, he threw money at a lot of different projects, uh, did it wisely enough that the ones that made him some money back allowed him to reinvest in the genre. And so now he's able to invest in proven winners like Creep. I think they started shooting before they had any budget. They just had handy cams and certainly no idea about distribution. Yeah. Well, what they were able to get over through their Netflix release, uh, Bloomhouse is now able to take a little bit more of a informed approach, right? But he keeps feeding it back into the, the industry, and I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. I know Bloomhouse, particularly years ago, kind of got a bad rap, but man, look at all the stuff he's helped bring to, you know, bring to life. Yeah, not only are we in a golden age of horror uh, and a renaissance, but also a renaissance for Blumhouse. It's really cool to yeah. see. Yeah, so good for them. Um, anything else you want to highlight here? Uh, I mean, not really. It seems like they're, you know, the Joker's found his Harley Quinn, Romeo's found his Juliet. Well, that was that was the central tension for me throughout most of this movie. He makes this promise to her that he won't kill her for the first 24 hours. Right. right? And I immediately turned to you and said, there's that qualifier. Yeah. He's going to kill her the 25th hour or whatever. But like halfway through the movie, there's a, he's just shooting pool and she says, you had a qualifier. You said 24 hours. And you can tell, again, he's rattled. He got caught. He looks up at the camera and he's kind of desperate to get control back. And he says, now, why would you mention that? That puts you in danger. My tension at, you know, both poles of this movie was, will he end up killing her? Will they go on a 10-state killing spree like the Natural Born Killers, right? Mm-hmm. Because they found their soulmates. Or will she kill him and replace him? Because she's Tiffany to his Chucky. I mean, they have found each other. Yeah. And they're going to go off on this twisted exploration of their love for each other. Did you have an inclination? Did you think, hey, I know how this movie's going? Because you have a radar for that stuff. Um, I, I mean, uh, to me, the first part of the movie, especially once she strips nude, I was like, oh, okay, well, they're going to they're gonna wind up together. Then there's a part in the movie, I guess maybe about the halfway point, where he begins to ex- tell her, or maybe not even the halfway point, maybe in the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie. I forget. Um, but anyway, there's a point in the movie where he says, he basically gives his origin story, right? Talks about we think. Fact. Yeah, sure. That's that's a good call, too. Um, if you're going to have a pass, might as well be multiple choice, right? Um, but the story that he gives her is, is he was 15, he looked like he was 18 years old, and he was hitchhiking to some concert. Uh, Partied with the band. Yeah. Was coming back for, to his hometown. Was coming back to 
his hometown, this hitchhiker or this uh, this car pulls up and the guy basically digs a grave and says, I'm going to put you in this grave. And he kills the man and buries him in that grave. And then he realizes this is what he has to do with the rest of his life. One of the best callbacks to the original movie is in that scene. I just want to note it while we're talking about it. He says the guy who picked him up opened the door and, and with a big grin on his face said, it's going to be a good, good day. I've got a feeling it's going to be a good, good day, which is what he told Aaron back in the first movie. Oh, good call. When they first got together and I thought, oh, that's great uh, connection point. There weren't a ton of like obvious ones of those to me, but that one was super strong. Yeah, that's really good. I didn't even notice that, I guess, because I didn't care about the first one, but um, <laughs> that's that's why you're here. Um, yeah, so once he says that, I think maybe maybe 10 minutes later, I was like, oh, so that's what's going to happen. He's going to dig a grave and one of the others going into it. Yeah. And so that's obviously that that is what happens at the end of this movie. Um, I, I kind of, you know, you kept saying that you, you heard that there was going to be a trilogy. So I kind of wanted to see them get together. I kind of wanted to see the happy ever after in, in the morbid twist type of thing for these guys, you know, let them, let them find one another and then go on their kill spree and then get their come up. If there's going to be a, a third one, uh, um, let them have their come up. It's in the third one, you know, but well, we've already Wahlberg the listeners, right. but the ending, and we've sure, almost talked the entire plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ending certainly leaves a lot of room for that. Sure. You know, he's stalking her and they make eye contact is what you're led to believe. So it seems like they could very easily say these two have teamed up and this is what it looks like. They've got, you know, this anonymous web channel where they're releasing snuff films or something. But I'm willing to say Duplass and what did you say the guy's name was? Bryce? Yeah, Patrick Bryce. I'm willing to say that they've shown me enough creatively that I think they could take the third film in a really novel direction that I don't see coming. And I am I am eager for it. I really want to see the third act. Um, well, I'm sorry you didn't like it, man. I really, uh, I really, really have enjoyed both of these movies. Good. And was really riveted by both. Um, I hope, I hope anybody listening to this gets, gets the opportunity to experience the way I did. Yeah. Uh, rather than the way you did. Not sure. because I think you're objectively wrong, but just because these movies captivate me. And I think that's fun. And yeah. I, I'd like to see other people get to enjoy that goodness. Well, you know, when we, uh, when we put this episode out, it's episode 33. So we're on episode, this is episode 38. So episode 33 was when we did Creep. Uh, so around six weeks ago, um, when I put it out on social media to, you know, let people know about it, I didn't realize a lot of people had watched this. And so the comments I was getting back was, dude, I can't believe that this didn't startle you or this didn't kind of creep you out. Like I thought it was really creepy and da 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 da. And I was just like, I guess I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm wrong on it. So I'm, gl- I'm glad, like I'm genuinely glad that people are enjoying the movie. To me, I don't know, man. They're just, they're, the first one was really stupid. I thought just real hokey. And I mean, remember I laughed through the majority of it. And this one, I don't know if maybe it was just too soon for me to come back to that world or what the situation was. I did enjoy it more than the first one, but still, I mean, I wouldn't put it at more than like a four and a half. Okay. Well, we'll let me, we'll get that formally on record here in just a second. You've asked me this before and I can't remember your answer to the question you posed. Do you like Woody Allen movies? Not especially. No. See, for me, this is a Woody Allen movie with, you know, without uh, New York in it Mm -hmm. and without, or rather with a knife. This is a movie about the need to belong and find the people that you're part of, right? This guy's having a crisis of identity because he can't figure out the purpose for his life. And he, you know, he walks her through so many different um, kind of touch points about his own failure to develop as a member of a community. He tells her that the first time he partied with that band, uh, it was the first time he ever felt like he belonged. Right after he kills that guy and he feels like he's found his purpose, later on they're sitting down and he says, uh, I've never kissed a girl. I kind of basically missed my window because I was in institutions. And she leans over and kisses him, right? 
So in some ways, this is a character study. Uh, it just has a lot of over-the-top awkwardness and bloody murder. Yeah. I kind of think this movie is going to hang around for a long time. I think maybe my kids will be looking back and going, you know, one of the best movies that came out of that era was Creep and Creep 2 and maybe Creep 3. Oh, man. I hope not. Well, it's because I think the themes are so universal. Yeah. Right? I mean, things will be dated. There will be some technology that works the way cell phones do for us. We're like, there's no cell phones. It totally takes me out of the moment. So something like that will happen. Yeah. But awkward people trying to find where they belong and, and crying into the darkness for others like them. Yeah, that's going to be there forever. And those universal themes tend to buoy these movies that deal with them up over long periods of time. So you may be having to hear about Creep for a long, long time, man. Hot dog. <laughs> Congratulations. Glad this day just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So you said you would give this a four and a half. Four and a half, yeah. I'm probably going to give this a six and a half. Okay. It's not the best thing I've ever seen. Now, if you adjust for budget and aspirations, I'm going to move that up to like an eight and a half to a nine. So I really like this movie. Let the let the listener beware. You, you know, you'll have to make your own determination, obviously. But I am going to ask our seminal question. Did we see something scary? I didn't. I didn't see anything scary either. Yeah. I think this movie kind of takes pains to not be scary. Uh, other than those few jump scares that are plot devices, you know, it puts the first act of murder within the first 10 minutes. You don't see anything else. You may get a creepy story. You don't see anything else that's supposed to be frightening till the very end of the movie. Yeah. So no, this is not a scary movie. It will be marketed as a horror movie. Definitely. But this is basically a drama and a character study. So I'm going to say with you, no, we did not see something scary. But I'm going to add we saw something really interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to add that you saw something really interesting. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, we asked you earlier to tweet at Limetown Stories to tell them to let us interview them. Tweet at saw something scary so Derek and I can uh, do a, a, an informal fan poll. Did you did you find this movie compelling or did you think it was bunk? I'd love to know. Not to not to kind of decide between you and me, but just how do I square up with our listeners? Sure, no. I'm always curious to know what our listeners are thinking about every movie because it, it seems like, especially as you and I have gotten more uh, more confident with this uh, with this podcast and, and just this medium in general, that our our differences have come out. Not in like a uh, what like a Stephen A. Smith, you know, I'm going to yell at you, sucker type thing, but just in a okay. Well, I understand your point on that, but this is where I'm coming from as well. So uh, I and I, I mean we've talked about it before. I enjoy it when you and I don't always line up on stuff. So I'm always curious to see which way that our our listeners want to go with that, you know. Uh, and I, I'm the first one to always say that I'm I'm okay to be wrong or I'm okay to not be in the majority on this. So, so like liking Tusk, yeah, and dude, disliking Event Horizon. Event Horizon is trash. Tusk is trash too, but it's just a guilty pleasure of mine. Now, I, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm the uh, the the grandfather uncle figure for the horror genre. Sure, like I'm always looking at it as like a nephew and a niece, and going, well, there's good there. They you know they tried hard, or that's unique. But when I hate something, yeah, I hate it with the fiery heat of a thousand suns. Yeah. Well, hey, you were talking about people. Well, I guess both of us were talking about people reaching out to us. Yeah. You got a whole new medium for people to get in touch with you and find out what you've got going on, right, Derek? Yeah, man. Uh, new website's up. DerekZoo.com. Uh, you can actually find this podcast at DerekZoo.com. So go to the website, keep up with the tour. Uh, there'll be media, some video clips will be popping up and stuff pretty soon. So yeah, go check that out. Uh, and to everybody that has so far, thank you so much. Traffic has been crazy over the last couple days, so uh, greatly appreciate that. And uh, the Never Growing Up tour is in full effect. And when this podcast hits your earbuds, I will be in Nashville, Tennessee tomorrow night, which is Wednesday, November the 8th at the House a Social Eatery in Nashville, Tennessee. Show starts at 9 o'clock and uh, tickets are free. Awesome. A Social Eatery. Yeah. I like to be social. I love to eat. 
I've not heard of a social eatery before, but this sounds like my kind of place. Yeah, and you can follow them at uh, House Social Eatery on Instagram, and I'm sure they're on Twitter and stuff like that too. So uh, yeah, it's a monthly monthly showcase of some of the greatest comics in Tennessee. Well, I don't, uh, some I don't know if greatest comics is the right word or not, but some great comics in Tennessee, and I'll be there too. So come come hang out. Look at the humility right there, folks. That's why we love Derek Zoo. All right, so speaking of social media, you can find us at Scary Podcast on Twitter, uh, Scary Podcast on Facebook as well. Yes. We're on Reddit. Subreddit is Saw Something Scary. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out. There's also a contact form on SawSomethingScary.com. Yep. And uh, if you're old-fashioned emailer, you can do SawSomethingScary at gmail.com. There you go. So there it is. All right, man. Um, we'll put a bow on this one for this week. Stranger Things. Yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through. We had some personal stuff and professional stuff come up where I wasn't able to get through all of it, but I should have it done by the end of this weekend. Okay. So let's get go. down and talk to it. Uh, just to kind of put this out, I'm four episodes in, mm-hmm. and uh, I've not seen anything scary yet. The, spoiler alert, smoke cloud monster thing, octopus, whatever it is, mm-hmm. not the least bit scary. So uh, I'm looking forward. I, I realize that the later episodes are the ones that most people are talking about, so I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that. I'm really interested to see what you think about six through nine. Those are the ones that are... Um, well, seven is the most uh, most polarizing episode of scary things. Or, excuse me, scary things. Episode seven is the most polarizing episode of Stranger Things that's come out so far. As a matter of fact, most people are saying it's the worst episode ever. Wow, okay. So okay. I'm interested to see where you land on that. Well, the horror grandpa will be here to find the, the silver lining. <laughs> it's not that bad. You want to wear this original? They tried hard. <laughs> no. All right, man. Well, that'll do it. So we'll do, uh, yeah, man, uh, November's going to be crazy. We've got all sorts of great stuff lined up for November, so I'm excited about that. And uh, yeah, so make sure and check out Creep 2. Let us know what you think about it. Uh, special thanks to Ryan M. Brewer for our theme song. You can find him at Ryan M. Brewer on most social media platforms. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five-star ratings on uh, Apple Podcast. We would definitely appreciate that. So uh, for Jeff Wright, I'm Derek Zoo. Thanks again for listening, and beware of clowns and sewers, uh, white people with teacups, and blind men with turkey basters. Bye-bye, man. <laughs>